Today we're diving back into the world of the classic cocktail. One that actually has a small tie to tiki, being one of the only non-tiki drinks offered on Trader Vic's menu. Having turned legal age in or legal drinking age in 2001, I was mainly exposed early and often to the residual darkness of 1990s mixed drinks. My taste for individual spirits was a bit more refined. I I like I knew I liked scotch and worked my way through the blends, eventually finding my way to single malts, and Faca martinis were always very popular. In fact, I recall as early as my mid-twenties throwing martini parties for my friends. These mostly consisted of various flavored varieties till I moved on to the straight-up and vodka and vermouth. The purest that I was, even as a novice moppet of a drinker, took me to the gin martini. The delicate balance of juniper and vermouth ignited a newfound love in me for this classic cocktail royalty. But that's pretty much where I stayed on gin. Later I would rediscover the spirit via tiki and drinks like the Royal Hawaiian and Suffering Bastard. The first time I remember having today's drink throw, I was, I was in a bar here in Nashville with my wife. It was sweltering Tennessee summer. And while we waited for our table at a boutique burger joint on 12th South, we had a hankering for a cocktail that was light and summery while still elegant and classy. My wife suggested a drink that I had heard of, maybe even tried at some point, but had slipped my memory completely. It was perfect. It fit the bill right where we needed it to, somewhere between light and fruity tart with an air of simple complexity exhibited by the rare few cocktails that have sustained the test of time and taste. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony, and this is Pod Tiki, where today we travel to my ethnic homeland of Italy to drink and learn all about the Negroni. Now, I've made a few references already to the Negroni as a summery drink. This I find to be most true due to the light, fruity, bittersweet profile. It's the perfect spring cocktail as it bridges the gap between the warming nature of bourbons and or heavy sipping rums into the brighter floral notes associated with Mercury Rising. In my humble opinion, every drink has an occasion, and every occasion calls for a drink. The floral bitter notes of gin and Campari remind us of those nascent bursts of spring blooms, while the Rosso Vermouth adds a sweetness that takes us out of those dark nights huddled around the living room and out to the patio afternoons. The time of year when Manhattans, Sazeracs, and Martinis give way to daiquiris, mojitos, and Mai Tais. That being said, the Negroni is quite versatile as well. As the case with many drinks having their roots as an aperitif, Negronis can truly be enjoyed any time of day. Bright enough to enjoy at Elevenses, simple enough for happy hour, cordial enough for after dinner, and strong enough to trip the light fantastic. In Men Without Women, Hemingway wrote that a defining quality of the Italian is their propensity for self-preservation. I can attest to this being the grandson of Italian immigrants and having preserved myself these 42 years, though sometimes I feel a bit more pickled than preserved. The Negroni has also managed to preserve itself for a remarkably long time. A common mistake, and one I admittedly made myself, is associating the Negroni with Prohibition-era cocktails. So, where did this recently revived classic come from, and when? 
In order to fully understand the Negroni, let's break down its components. Gin, Italian Red Vermouth, and Campari. Now, we've covered gin a few times in the past, but a note um, from its history that's pertinent for this episode is that although most people may associate gin with Geneva from Holland or even London Dry, this floral juniper-forward spirit originated in southern Italy way back in the 10th century. Now, the Dutch perfected the spirit, which made its way to England during the reign of Dutch-born William of Orange. As a tangent, it was the Dutch who financed a bunch of French merchant ships and privateers during the Golden Age of Privacy. This is simply speculation on my part, but perhaps this is how gin found its way to the Caribbean and subsequently into some of our favorite tiki drinks. As well, we've covered Italian vermouth before, but again, its origin is specifically germane to today's drink. Hailing from 18th century Turin, Italy, red or rosso vermouth is a fortified wine product that began as an aperitif, there's that word again, before becoming a popular cocktail ingredient. The two main versions of vermouth are the drier white French style and the red sweeter option from Italy. In our modern times, both regions make a respectable white and red. It is notable, though, that the term vermouth is the French pronunciation of wormut, the German word for wormwood, a common ingredient in vermouth throughout the ages. Keeping with today's theme and the historically agreed-upon recipe, the Negroni uses sweet rosso Italian vermouth. Like most gustatory perceptions and epicurean sanctimony, the term sweet is relative. A perceived note of sweetness in a particular tobacco or spirit or even your coffee is primarily the sensation of the sweet-detecting taste buds being activated in such a way to remind the brain of saccharine sensation. A sip of Vermouth Rosso will taste sweet after a sip of French Chambéry Blanc, but gets lost in a bite of tiramisu. You know, if that analogy makes sense. The candle that lights the room disappears when held in front of a 4D mag light. Okay, that's enough masturbatory metaphor from me. And that brings us to the, shot, the star of our show, Campari. What is it? Where does it come from? And most importantly, why is it so delicious? Well, first, let's briefly cover aperitifs and digestifs. It should be pretty self-explanatory, but just to be diligent, an aperitif is usually a drier than sweet alcoholic spirit sipped before a meal to stimulate the appetite. Conversely, a digestive usually denotes a sweeter drink enjoyed post-meal time to aid in digestion. And that's pretty much where the hard definitions end. Each can be anything from cordials and liqueurs to champagne or brandies. There's no rules! To make it more open to interpretation, most aperitifs and digestifs can be swapped for each other. Personally, if you're handing me a, de a delicious alcoholic beverage before and after a good meal, I'm going to enjoy whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. While we're on the topic, this got me thinking about what my ideal dinner drink menu would be, right? I have settled on Campari when I sit down, red wine with food, espresso followed by amaretto or a limoncello with dessert, and a Manhattan with my cigar afterwards. So shout out to E3, Moto, and Kane Prime. Those are the restaurants here in Nashville that my wife and I go to for special occasions. All this to say, Campari was initially intended as an aperitif, though technically it's a bitter. 
Campari is made by infusing a base spirit with water, fruit, and herbs. Some common ingredients are cascarilla, cascarilla, a croton species native to the Caribbean, and chinoto, a small citrus fruit found in Italy that resembles a small bitter orange. A similarity to curacao oranges comes to mind. Originally, Campari received its cherry red color from carmine dye derived from crushed cochineal insects. Surprisingly, this practice lasted all the way to 2006, and now the company uses a lab-created dye. Campari was invented in 1860 by Nov- uh, in Novara, Italy by Gaspare Campari. I'm not making that up. His name was Gaspare Campari. I <laughs> uh, just want to say that name over and over. Gaspare Campari. The first major Campari production facility opened almost 15 years later in 1904 under Gaspari's son, David. Today, Campari is a worldwide spirits producer and distributor that has become a drink synonymous with Italian cocktailing culture. Despite the Negroni and a cocktail resurgence making it famous, Campari has enjoyed a renewed appreciation among craft cocktail enthusiasts around the world. Bittersweet, fruity, and quite palatable on any occasion, Campari maintains its relevance and importance as the only fruit-based bitter acceptable for use in the Negroni. Don't get fooled by knockoffs. Campari is what you use in a Negroni. Dare I say, the Negroni is one of a few cocktails wherein a mixer, quote-unquote, is more essential to the anatomy of a drink than the spirit. Because although rum, rye, and vodka versions exist, Campari is always a constant in preparing a Negroni. So, what is it? A Negroni is a classically equal parts gin, Italian vermouth rosso, and Campari. Which brings us to, where did it come from? Ah. If there's one thing we've learned together on this cocktailian adventure that is Patiki, it's that no drink worth its ABV is without disputed origins. Much like the daiquiri or margarita, we have three ingredients common to a certain time and place that intuitively go together. Floral, sweeter, um, floral sweet, bitter. This is a flavor profile we find in nature all the time. And if it's good enough for Big Mama Natty, who can argue? But where the daiquiri and margarita warrant only speculation regarding early attempts, we actually have documentation of a drink called the Campari Mixte from the Lehur du Cocktail in 1929, which is equal parts gin, Campari, and Italian vermouth with lemon zest. Now, it wasn't called a Negroni, but you can tell it's exactly what a Negroni is. That may have been a coincidental similarity, seeing as how a myriad of Negroni-adjacent mixes were popping up in French and Spanish cocktail guides throughout the 40s. Most notably, the Camparinette, a mix of one-quarter Campari, one-quarter vermouth, and half gin. Not a bad recipe, but one that does throw the delicate natural balance a, a little off-kilter. The first printed recipes of a Negroni by name came in 1955 where both the UKBG Guide to Drinks, that's the United Kingdom's Bartenders Guild, and Cocktail and Oscar Haimo's Wine Digest from the U.S. published the Negroni. And as we all learned in philosophy, a Negroni is a Negroni is a Negroni by any other name, still a Negroni. Or, to quote the Matrix, there is no Negroni. Facts notwithstanding... 
because it is 2022 after all, so who cares about facts? The popular story told around the origin of the Negroni is one of the most scintillating we've covered to date. I gotta set the mood here, guys. Picture it. 1919. Florence, Italy. At the Café Giacosa. Bartender Fosco Scarcelli is wiping out glasses while chatting with a few locals elbowed up to the bar. The popular drink of the time was a mix of Campari from Milan and Amaro from Turin. In one of the greatest bursts of creativity history has ever witnessed, this drink was called the Milano Torino. This was invented at the Café Camparino in Milan, which was owned by none other than our friend Gaspari Campari. He just loved putting his name on stuff. Imagine if he paired up with Italian car companies. We may have the Campari Ferrari. Or if he was a game designer, the Campari Atari. But I digress. Campari, where are we? Oh, back in Florence, Italy. In the back of Cafe Giacosa, Giuseppe and Pasquale are arguing over the gravy. Giuseppe, you didn't put it in enough of the garlic. Pasquale, I put it in enough of the garlic. You watching me put it in. Giuseppe, still not. I watching you put in no garlic in. From the front of the house, they hear Fosco yelling back, Mamma mia, you two shut up your face. Sir. The count is coming. Enter Count Camillo Negroni. He strides gracefully up to the bar, greeting patrons along the way. His favorite drink was the Americano, a Milano Torino with the addition of soda water. This is said to have gotten its name from American tourists whose apparently delicate palates needed to water down the bitter liquids. Well, I say, Fosco, this is some fine swill you got here. Bit tough on the tongue, though, eh? How about a spritz to lighten the mood, old pal? Conversely, Count Negroni was feeling spicy on this day. He asked Fosco to give his Americano some more moxie, perhaps to show up the Americans. I believe he said something like, Fosco, this a drinker. Is that how you say uh, wimpy wimpy? To strengthen up the Count's drink, Fosco swapped soda water for gin. And from that day forward, that was all Count Camillo Negroni drank. Other folks liked it so much they would ask for one of Count Negroni's drinks, and eventually, simply, a Negroni. This is a perfect origin story, and I'm inclined to believe it's true. But some in the Negroni family challenge its veracity. In a heated debate, Colonel Hector Andres Negroni argues there is no Camillo Negroni in the Negroni family tree. He is quoted as saying, You believe this shit? What's the matter with you? Some kind of mama loop? And I just made that quote up. But he does state that the true inventor of the Negroni was one General Pascal Oliver Comte de Negroni. The colonel left this remark, though, as an Amazon comment under Luca Picci's book Sulla Trace del Conte, La Vera Storia del Cocktail Negroni. Now, Picci was a longtime bartender at an establishment down the street from Cafe Giacosa and is said to be an expert on the matter. So, perhaps Colonel Hector Andres Negroni is just another crazy Amazon reviewer. He probably only left one star. Personally, I'm cool with a healthy level of intrigue behind my cocktail origin stories. No harm, no foul. And in the end, we reap the benefits of a great drink. Now we've come to the part of the podcast where I can hear Count Negroni yelling at me now. Tony, 
Enough of the yappa yappa. Let's go make it a drink. Once we have our Campari, we'll need to select an Italian vermouth. I suggest something better than the cheap Martini and Rossi. If you want to splurge on the $30 bottle, that's up to you, but even a small step up goes a long way. I went with a $10 bottle called Vermouth Vino Aromatizado. Aromatizado. Vino Aromatizado. <laughs> I just like saying words in a, a very embellished Italian accent. Okay. The difference in just a little better vermouth is noticeable. It's a fortified wine product like port, so it should have that deep, rich wine flavor. The cheaper stuff tends to be a bit light and won't balance out the bitter and floral notes of the other ingredients. Just remember, as a wine product, vermouth does need to be refrigerated after opening to preserve that sweet, sweet freshness. Which brings us to the gin. Now, personally, I think the Brits have perfected gin with their London Dry. It's floral and herbaceous without losing the body of a good spirit. And some of these modern riffs go too overboard on the, the juniper and the, and, the, and the herbs, resulting in a potpourri taste. And despite my Italian heritage, I don't want my Negroni tasting like my grandma's house. One of my favorite new rum distilleries, Privateer, is releasing an American gin this year, which I am very excited about. But I don't have any on hand just yet, so I haven't been able to try that. I can't wait to get my hands on it and, and try some in, in this drink and my favorite tiki drinks. But for this episode, I did stick with the Sapphire London Dry Gin from Bombay. And then we go to the preparation. The Negroni is super simple. In a cocktail beaker... Pour one ounce Campari, one ounce Italian sweet vermouth, and one ounce gin. Fill halfway with ice and stir till glass frosts over. You'll notice the ice start to loosen up and stir easier. That's when it's properly chilled or properly diluted. Open strain into a rocks glass and add one large ice cube. I prefer this to on the rocks as that tends to dilute the drink too quickly. Garnish with a, well... That's the other debate. Some use a lemon twist and others use orange peel. Both are acceptable as lemon is used in a lot of Italian drinks, think limoncello, and orange has ties to gin being linked with the aforementioned Duke of Orange. Remember, it was the Dutch who gave us orange curacao from their Caribbean colonization. The drink should have a burnt reddish hue, vermilion but with a hint of rust if you're using good vermouth. The flavor is cloying sweet like candy, but still with a pleasant high bitterness. Odd for not containing any added sweetener. If a good fresh Italian vermouth is used, the notes of dark, fruity, fortified wine seeps through. An amalgamated, uh, all amalgamated by the high floralacity of London dry gin, whose dryness also helps to balance out the bitter Campari and sweet vermouth. Well, there you have it, folks. The Negroni is in the books. A bitter, fruity, floral cocktail to help us ease us into summer drinking. Heck, make a batch of it for your next barbecue or pool party. It's a crowd pleaser, and you can even add a little San Pellegrino to make it a spritzer. I'll allow it this one time. Over the course of the last 10 years, the Negroni has been more popular than ever, and even has a dedicated week. Usually in mid-September, social media and craft bars around the country take place in celebrating Negroni Week. That's pretty wild. So here's to a drink with a great story and a great drink and a great summer. 
I leave you with a real quote from Orson Welles. Quote, The bitters are excellent for your liver. The gin is bad for you. They balance each other. Unquote. Credits for this episode come from a story called Negroni Story by Simon Difford on differsguide.com and some Wikipedia articles. No Italians were harmed in the making of this podcast. The author, Anthony Manfantano, is in fact Italian-American and reserves the right to poke fun at his own stereotypes. Follow Pod Tiki on Instagram at pod underscore tiki and rum, or at rum underscore poet, YouTube at Pod Tiki, and always podtiki.com for all episodes and recipes. Check out that YouTube page for episodes of Inside the Mug, where we're going to talk a little bit about the Negroni and what I love about it. Well, my name is Tony, and this is Patiki. Until next time, don't forget to stir the gravy and keep it tiki. Giuseppe, you drank my Negroni. Pasquale, I did not touch your Negroni. Mamma mia!